But today we're in Philippians chapter 4, and um, we're uh, looking at the subject of contentment, and um, something that's fleeting in our society today. And Paul writes there in verse 11, he says, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content. Uh, there's a secret to his contentment, and he shares that with us in several different principles throughout this text. And um, we all would like to experience contentment, whether it's in our personal lives, whether it's in our career, whether it's in our family life, our marriage, business, whatever it might be, uh, we would want to be content. But it seems to be very elusive uh, in our society, like I said. And uh, there's, a, there's a desire to be satisfied. Uh, that we could be sufficient, and, and, and that's part of contentment. Um, and people usually seek contentment in all the wrong places. They think if they had a better job, if they had a better car, if they had um, maybe different kids or whatever. You know, I mean, you know, it's just like, you know, sometimes you just wonder why, you know, God kind of gave you in life what you have. And, you know, it's... It's always an interesting thing when you stop and you, you remember that, you know what, God's in control of this. You're working at the job you're working at because that's where he wants you at this point in time. Um, you have the amount of money in the, the account that you have because that's, that's, it's, it's by his grace. You have the job you have. You're blessed with the home you live in. Uh, you're blessed with the children you have, the family you have, whatever it might be. Um, and yet it seems like we always want something the grass is always greener it seems on the other side of the street and that's usually not the case but um, true contentment is really being able to be satisfied and content in the midst of any problem that we're facing that's when we know that we have true contentment and I just want to kind of reread for us verses 10 through 19 and that's kind of what we're looking at this morning out of Philippians chapter 4 just to kind of regain our context of what we're talking about here Paul says in, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 10, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, and now at last your care for me has flourished again. You remember, it was 10 years since he's heard anything from these folks. And uh, finally they, they sent a gift by way of Epaphroditus and, and reconnected with Paul. But it's been 10 years. He says, Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard of need, or to need, for I have learned in whatever state that I am to be content. And how to be, uh, I know how to be abased, I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry. Um, both uh, to be full and, and to be hungry also, uh, he says there, I know how to be uh, content in all these things. He says, everywhere and in all things I have learned both before and country, both to abound and to suffer need. Verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you share in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica you sent aids, aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all in abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things you sent, uh, uh, things sent from you, a su sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches, 
in glory by Christ Jesus. Now, you see the heart of this Apostle Paul, this, this incredible man, and he seems like he's a man for all seasons. He just covers every facet of somebody's life. Um, he was a man of contentment. He was satisfied. He was sufficient. And you look back in, in verse 4, he commanded us always to uh, rejoice in the Lord. Um, in verse 6, he, you note that he commanded us not to worry or be anxious for everything. Um, in verse 7, he introduced us to the peace of God. And then in verse 9, he introduces us to the, the God of peace. And here's a man who knows how to rejoice in every situation. I mean, wouldn't you love to be able to do that? No matter what life dishes out, you're just rejoicing in it. Um, here's a man who was free from anxiety and worry. How many of you worry? I mean, every hand should go up. Come on, you know. Let's be honest. We're in church, you know. Um, but here's a man who, who is free from that. His, his, his heart is guarded by the peace of God and the God of peace. And here's a man who tells us that he's learned to be content. In other words, he wasn't always this way. It was something he had to learn. And you know what? As life goes on, and the older you get, matter of fact, Iris celebrated his birthday today. 72 years old. How long have you been coming to this church? How long have you been serving in this church? Just curious. <laughs> A number, please. And you've been serving faithfully here as treasurer for years, and uh, we'd be lost without you. Um, I said happy birthday to him this morning. He said, ah, it's about time for retirement, don't you think? <laughs> retirement from what? You know. Uh, so he, we'd, we'd be lost without him. But... Um, my point is that, you know, the older we get, what is my point? The point is, the older we get in life, okay, sometimes God kind of takes off the rough edges. And pretty soon, you know, after a while, some of the things that were critical that we had to, you know, get done in life and all these things are just, you know, of necessity, all of a sudden they begin to kind of, you know, it's not that big of a deal. And we begin to see the bigger picture in life. And uh, that's kind of what, what Paul has gone through. I mean, this man has gone through every sort of situation known to mankind almost. And today we live in an utterly discontent culture, if you think about it, just around us. I mean, you know, you look at the television and they're constantly feeding that discontent, saying that you have to buy this, you have to buy that, you know. I mean, just come over to my house and I'll show you, you know, that, that, that advertising, it works. Okay, I got stuff in my house that, you know, you probably laugh at, you know. You're up late at night, and you turn on that TV, and you go, man, I need one of those things. I just, you know, by the time it's over, it's like, I can't live without this fryer thing that cooks, you know, French fries in three minutes or whatever. And and, and my, my daughter, Crystal, just says, yeah, just keep on buying, you know, just because she ends up with the stuff, you know. I mean, when she came down for the women's thing, you know, she said, well, why don't you have a half-decent mixer? You have this little hand mixer. Why don't you have a big kitchen? And I looked at her. I go, you know where it's at. I had one one day. Now it's up at your house. You know, you use it more than I do. So we blessed her with that. But, you know, there's always this discontent. We always need more and things like that. And we have so much. We're so blessed as a nation, as a people. I mean, you stop and you think where we live. We live in probably one of the most beautiful spots in the whole entire United States. I'm thoroughly convinced of that. 
If you're from somewhere else, I apologize. But, I mean, the West Coast is just beautiful. And I'm speaking from someone who was raised in Pennsylvania. And, you know, sometimes I'll talk to my family and I'll say, well, do you think you'll ever come back here? I say, why? Why would I go back there? You know, there's nothing there. I talked to my brother-in-law yesterday. He's a dentist. He's been a dentist back there for 30-some years, I think. And um, when he first came in to Montoursville, he was the new kid on the block and kind of, you know, had set up his practice and everything. And I remember, you know, as time went on, I was talking to him yesterday and he was kind of like at a crucial point where he didn't know if he'd make it or not. Now he's like, there's nobody, there's no other dentist moving into the area. The only problem is everybody's retiring. So all these patients are coming to me, and he's wanting to retire, but he can't. He's just got incredible amount of, 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 of people and things going on in his life and everything. And it's, it's just we get so busy. We get so uh, kind of strung out on all these different things. And in the end, what really matters? You know, we sang that song, I'll Fly Away. You know, I mean, one day we will. One day we'll leave this earth. And we'll be, if we know the Lord Jesus Christ, we'll be ushered into the presence of our, of our Savior. And I don't know about you, but I long for that day. There's not a lot down here to keep me here. Um, so, you know, we have to look at that discontentment and say, let's put it into perspective. And last time we looked at basically two points. And I just kind of want to revisit those with you quickly. The first point we made was in verse 10, when he says, you know what, I know that you... Um, you wanted to care for me, but you lacked opportunity. And we talked about, you know what, one of the keys to contentment, one of the building blocks of the foundation of contentment is that we have to have confidence in that we serve a God who is thoroughly able to provide for us. He's a God of providence. He provides for us in every way known to man. He's a sovereign God. And so the point was, is Paul wasn't ticked off at them because they hadn't, you know, send anything in 10 years, he said, hey, you know what, it's not a big deal because God's in control of these things. And you know what, the things just didn't match up. The lines didn't cross where you were able to send me anything for 10 years. I don't hold that against you because I'm trusting in God to meet my needs, not in you. And that's, that's a key to life. When we begin to trust in ourselves and think that, you know, boy, if we get the right job or whatever, then all of a sudden, magically, the checkbook will balance. You know, it's not going to work that way. When we have our faith and our, our trust in, in a God who we know provides for us, it changes everything in the world. A lot of times people, even in, not even talking about materialistically, but emotionally. I've talked to couples that come and they want to get married and their, their whole thing is, you know, it's, well, we need each other. You know, and my message to them is you better need the Lord first. <laughs> That's key in any marriage. If you're, if you're looking for your mate to meet your needs, you're going to be sorely uh, disappointed. That's just reality. And, um, you know, we have to have that confidence in a God that he will provide for us. And that's what it was in verse 10 there. And then also verse 11, Paul brought out not only that, but I'm satisfied with very little. Just the opposite of our society today. Not that I speak in regard to need, he says in verse 11. For I have learned in whatever state I'm in to be content. Whatever state I'm in. Boy, I, you know, I wish I could say I, I could do that. I can't do that. That's, that's, that's a hard thing to be content in whatever state you're in. And if you stop and you think about that, you know, the Apostle Paul, he was a prisoner in Rome as he's writing this. He was captive there. He was chained to a Roman soldier. He was incarcerated in probably a small apartment or something like that. And his freedoms were minimized extremely. And yet, he has 
the ability to say, you know what, I, I, I can, I can live with this. I can deal with this. Um, there's a, there's a element of satisfaction with very little, and uh, and Paul knew what it meant to have a lot, as we're going to find out. And so he kind of moves on to point three, and that's where we pick up today. The third block in this foundation of contentment that we're building is, we'll call it independence from circumstances. Uh, being independent from your circumstances. And in verse 11, he already talked about that. He says, whatever circumstances I am in, I have learned to be content. And then he even exp expands on that in verse 12. Look at what he says. He says, I know how to be abased. In other words, I know how to live on the lowest rung of the ladder. And I know how to abound. I also know what it's like to be on the top rung. Um, I know how to live in prosperity. I know how to live in humble means, in any and every circumstances. And that's, a, that's the key to having contentment in our life. He, he says there, I've learned the secret kind of, of, of understanding of being filled and going hungry, of both having abundance and suffering need or lack. And what he's saying there is, you know what, there's, there's contentment in his life because that contentment is independent from the circumstances he finds himself in. He says there in verse 11, whatever circumstances I'm in, doesn't matter. In verse 12 he says, any and every circumstances. Um, you know, one thing that probably steals our contentment the most today is our circumstances. When they're bad. Stop and think about it. When things are going great at work, I mean, man, you, everything's fine. But boy, you know that boss pop into your office and chew you out on a Monday morning? You know, all of a sudden you're thinking, hey, you know, should I get my resignation? Should I look for another job? You know, all of a sudden you're not content anymore with the job you have. All of a sudden there's this, this discontentment because of one bad circumstance. And that's the way it is in life. That's how we do it. We, we tend to almost crumble when the circumstances turn bad or turn rough. And we lose our contentment, and we lose our sense of sufficiency, and we lose our satisfaction in the peace that God promises us. Well, what does Paul say? Paul says, I know how. He says, I know how, and a little later he also says, I know how, and I've learned it. He says, I've got a secret here. I'm going to share it with you. I know how, number one, to get along with humble means. Um, what do you mean by that, Paul? What's he talking about? He's talking about physical things. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about food, he's talking about clothing, he's talking about daily necessities. I know how to get along with humble means. Um, you know, poverty is what he has in mind here. Uh, I know how to be poor. That's kind of what he's saying. I know how to have very, very little daily sustenance in my life. And it's very, very basic. It's the basic needs of life. And he says, that's, you know, there's, there's some people that take a vow to poverty. You know, that's not what he's talking about. Because he goes on and he says, also, I know how to live in prosperity. Right? He says, I know how to overflow. That word means to be filled, to abound, just overflowing. And once again, he's talking about earthly goods. He's talking about earthly supplies. So what he's saying is, I can get along with poverty and I can get along with prosperity. In every in, in circumstance that I find myself, I have the secret to being content. Well, what's, what's the secret, Paul? The secret of being filled. It's an interesting word. It, it's used in the, the firing of animals. It's used in the feeding and fattening of animals. Um, 
He's saying, I know what it is to have a big meal. I know what it is to eat well. I know what it is to be well fed. But I also know what it is to be hungry. I also know what it means to have great deprivation in my life. He had times when he didn't have enough food to eat. He understood that. He experienced that. Remember when I was at youth pastor, we used to take kids through a 30-hour famine. And uh, I think it was with World Vision or one of those groups. And the idea is they get pledges for each hour that they go without food. They can drink water and that's it. And uh, being the devious youth pastor that I was, <laughs> on it usually went Friday night through, uh, I think it was Sunday morning or whatever, Saturday night late. And, uh, but Friday night, they had, they had to st stop eating at about 3 in the afternoon. And so about 7 o'clock Friday night, when they're really the hungers are kind of kicking in, I said, okay, what we're going to do now is we're going to cook a stew. We're going to take it down to one of the homeless shelters tomorrow. But we're going to cook it right now. But they couldn't eat any of it. I mean, it was like torture. It was torture for me. You know, I mean, because you're doing the same thing along with them. You're not eating. And, you know, there's that, you know, first couple hours is hard because your, your stomach's groaning and, you know, you're trying to drink water and it's not doing anything. And you're just, you know, you're wanting more. You're wanting more. And then you're, you know, you're having the kids peel the potatoes and cut up the, the beef and all that and put it in this nice big pot and it smells so good. And you just, you know, just a little bit of that salty broth would get me through the next hour. But, you know, you can't because everybody's there. And, and, you know, and so you kind of understand what it means to be hungry, but you really don't. Because, you know, Saturday night, when this thing is over and you've completed your 30-hour famine, then you're going to go get a big double cheeseburger at in and out and a Coke and a milkshake and just feed your face. So that gets you to that point. Can you imagine what it's like not to have anything today and, and know that you're not going to have anything tomorrow or maybe the next day and it's only by the grace of God that if somebody would give you some food that you could eat. I don't understand that. I would never, I couldn't, couldn't comprehend that kind of hunger. To be so hungry and yet not to have. Well, Paul says, you know what, I've been there. But I've also been full. He says, I know in verse 12 what it's like to have abundance. I know what it's like to suffer lack. But the point is, is that everything, in all these things, he says, I'm content. Because why? I'm living independent from my circumstances. Paul was never a victim of his circumstances. That's incredible to me. Um... He had such faith in God's promises. And he, he remembers what Jesus said. That, you know what? You may have to weep now, but remember this. You'll laugh later. Uh, you know, you may be hungry now, but you know what? You'll be full later. His eye was in the right direction. He was looking where? Not at his earthly daily sustenance, but he was looking future to glory. And that's, that's where our, our eyes have to be focused. That's where they should be focused. He never let circumstances of this life devastate him to the point where he just wanted to give up. I mean, this guy suffered greatly physically. He's the worst possible and imaginable illustration for the prosperity gospel, the Apostle Paul. He's the worst. Anybody who advocates the prosperity gospel definitely would not teach on Paul. Because he had a miserable life. 
I mean, if you were trying to sell Christianity to people, don't, don't take them to the life of, of the Apostle Paul, because they're probably going to run. <laughs> I mean, think about it. it just, just follow me as I take you through this. In Acts 14, 19, the Jews came from Antioch in Iconium, and, and having won over the multitudes, what did they do? They stoned Paul and they dragged him out of the city. They thought he was dead. Somebody would say, well, he failed to bind them, you know. I mean, he should have just bound the powers of Satan. He didn't do that. Chapter 16, it goes on. It talks about Paul and Silas. Verse 19, it says, they seized them, dragged them into the marketplace, brought them before the magistrates. Verse 22 says, the crowd rose up together with them, the chief magistrates, they tore their robes off, they proceeded to order them beaten with rods. And when they afflicted many blows on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And having received such a command, he threw them into the inner prison, and he fashioned, fastened their feet in stocks. I don't know if you've ever been in stocks, you know, with the thing with the, put your hands in, you put your feet in. It's got to be a miserable experience. I mean, just being in handcuffs is bad enough. Not that I've ever been in handcuffs. You know, I have, you know, just with the, when I was with the DA's office, you know, I asked them, how, how is that, you know, when you put, does that hurt when you do that and put them in the car? So, so they, they proceeded to show me that sometimes it does hurt, you know, if you crank them down real tight and stuff and it wears the, you get little, uh, you wear the skin right off your, uh, off your, the, off your uh, surface of your skin there. And, you know, just give you a blister almost. But, you know, stocks would be something that, you know, I, I just could not imagine that. Verse 17, or chapter 17, verse 13, it says, When the Jews of Thessalonica found out that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul in Berea also, they came there likewise, agitating and stirring up the crowds. I mean, this guy didn't have a, uh, you know, an incredible uh, blessed ministry by the world standards. In verse 18, chapter 18, verse 12, it says, While Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him before the judgment seat. Chapter 20, verse 3, and this is how the whole story goes. And there he spent three months in Greece when a plot was formed against him by the Jews. That plot was to kill him. And then he set sail for Syria, um, and uh, he determined uh, to return through Macedonia. And one thing after another in this guy's life, finally he gets to Jerusalem in the sequence of the books of, book of Acts, and uh, they get him in the temple, and they take him and they slam him in jail, and he winds up in, in the prison in Caesarea for a prolonged period of time. And they ship him all the way to Rome, and he winds up in a prison in Rome, and this man just had a very difficult life. And it was all for preaching the gospel. See, I mean, you may say, well, yeah, I've had a difficult life too. But see, the, the difference is, is a lot of times we have difficult lives, but it's because of our own stupidity. You know, we do, do crazy things. We get ourselves in situations, and then we go, oh, why is this happening to me, God? Well, you know, if we wouldn't have made the decisions we made that were either unbiblical or unprincipled, whatever it might be, and we've all been there, we've all done that, nobody's perfect. And then we kind of look to God and say, help, I'm in this situation. Well, Paul was always in these situations not because of his own inadequacy or his own stupidity, but he was there because he was willing to preach the gospel, to take it to the lost, no matter what. 
And he was deprived time and time again. He suffered lack many times. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 11, he says, We who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake. I mean, can you imagine that? He lived on the edge of death all the time. I mean, I, I wonder, like, if, if, you know, if God transported me to some of these countries where Christianity is outlawed and, you know, basically it's the same situation. You preach the gospel, you know, you could have your head on a platter pretty quick. I wonder what I'd do. Would I, would I continue to obey God's call in my life to preach the gospel? Or would I just maybe have a little chat with God and rethink these things? I don't know. I've never been in that situation. I pray God would give me the courage to do whatever he's called me to do. But I can't honestly say, oh yeah, no problem. <laughs> well, Paul lived with that kind of, that kind of uh, just thing in front of him every day. Chapter 6, he says, kind of chronicling his life, chapter 6 in 2 Corinthians, he says in verse 4, In much endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, tumults, labors, sleeplessness, in hunger. That was his life. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 goes on and he says, look, in far more labors, far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want one lash, let alone 39. Three times I was beaten with rods. I mean, this is the guy's resume for serving his Savior. Once I was stoned. That means stoned with rocks. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, robbers, countrymen, Gentiles, cities, wilderness, sea, false brethren. I've been in labor, hardship through many sleepless nights. Hunger and thirst, often without food, cold and exposure, and I've got the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. That's what his passion was. That's what his, his heart was. I mean, that's just amazing. He wasn't concerned about himself. I mean, this guy wasn't living out some fantasy. He was living a nightmare. Literally. He knew what it meant to be in difficult situations, circumstances, but you know what? He lived above his circumstances. That's what blows me away. And that's why he says, I can be content. Because I, I live independent from these circumstances that's been dished out to me. I was thinking of somebody like Raymond. You know, we had a little fellowship dinner here Wednesday night, and Raymond came and just talking to him. He seems like he's doing pretty good. He's got a job, a couple interviews. But I thought, boy, you know, I mean, this, this young kid's life has been, I mean, it'll never be the same, ever. He'll never be the kid that he was before he went into the Marine Corps because of his injuries. But you know what? I don't hear him complaining. I don't hear him whining. I don't hear him, oh, yeah, you know. I mean, he's living above that. He's living each day as it comes and, hey, what, you know, and I always tell them, man, God's got a plan for you. I don't know what it is, but um, you know, you need to grab a hold of that. And then we look at our lives sometimes. 
they pale in comparison. They pale in comparison. You know, I mean, we're all upset because the cable guy said he'd come and hook up the cable on Wednesday, and it's Friday. I mean, and we're having a conniption fit over the whole thing. I mean, it's just crazy. Or our DSL goes down for a couple hours. What are we going to do? Dear, the DSL's not working. I can't get my email. It's like, okay. Why aren't you answering your cell phone? You know, because I don't have it on me. I mean, what's the big deal? I mean, we got to stop and we got to put things into perspective. We got to step back and say, you know what? Let's let's kind of reprioritize our lives a little bit. Paul says, "I want to live in the light of the glory to come, not in the light of the pain that is here." I mean, here was a contented man. Why? Because he was confident in God's sovereign providence. He was also confident that he could get along with a very little. And he lived independent from his circumstances. See, satisfaction is not related to what you have. Okay, let's just get this out there. Satisfaction is not related to what you have. Satis satisfaction is not related to what you don't have. Satisfaction is really related to living above that level and understanding that you have a God that provides for you. A God that promises you that, that being satisfied with little in, in life and anticipating much to come, that's, that's where our heart should be. And Paul did. He trusted in God's provision. He trusted in God's promises. He also lived above his circumstances. This man could rejoice in anything. Fourthly, Paul was content because he, he was sustained by divine power. This is important. <laughs> this is so important. He was sustained by divine power. Look at, look at verse 13. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's interesting because some manuscripts um, say him, some, some manuscripts say him instead of Christ. The indication is it it's, it's, should be Christ. But um, that's what he's referring to, obviously. And Paul says, you know what, I'm sustained by Christ. I, I get my strength from the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I've learned that no matter how difficult it is in the material world, that there's kind of a spiritual undergirding in my life. And that, that undergirding is Christ. Um, our adequacy and our sufficiency comes from being attached to someone who is adequate, to someone who is sufficient. See, the minute we begin to think that we're sufficient in and of ourselves or we're adequate in and of ourselves, what happens? Boom! Something happens. <laughs> and we begin to realize, ah, maybe I don't have this thing under control like I thought. We are not really self-sufficient. We are Christ-sufficient. It's because we're linked to his life and linked to his power. That's why we have our sufficiency. And so when Paul is saying, look, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, what does he mean by that? He means that he's connected to Christ. See, without that connection, you don't have the strength of God in your life. You don't, you, you don't have any connection with God in your life. But Paul says, because I'm connected to Christ, 
And that is the life of Christ in, in the soul of man. He lives in me. We, we know that um, in, in Galatians uh, 2.20, that's what he says. It's not that I live. It's Christ that lives in me. He lives this life through me. If you're trying to live the Christian life on your own, you're going to end up very, very frustrated. You're going to end up very irritated at God. <laughs> you have to open yourself up and allow Christ to live his life through you. You have to announce your total dependence on the Savior day by day. That's what it takes. The minute you begin to think, yeah, I'm doing pretty good spiritually. You know, look at me. I'm doing my devotions and praying. I'm doing all this stuff. The minute you begin to think that you're, you're standing on, on, on anything other than Christ, if you're standing on your own ability, you're going to fall. That's just the way it is. Now, he doesn't mean here, and I, and I want you to understand this, because he says there, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, what does he mean? He doesn't mean I can go on forever without eating. <laughs> he doesn't mean that. Um, he doesn't mean that he can go on forever without drinking. He doesn't mean that he can go on forever without sleeping, that I, he could be battered with 5,000 stripes and still survive. He doesn't, he's not talking about that. He knows that if he doesn't have food, eventually he'll die. If he doesn't have something to drink, eventually he'll die. If his body is continually beaten, eventually it will give up its life. He will die. He knows that. There's a limit to the physical extremities and what they can endure. That's just the way it is. But what he's saying here is, when I have come to the end of my own resources, and we all need to get to that point, then I experience the power of Christ to sustain me until that provision is made. And I think here he's talking about the material world when he says, I can do all things. He could have said, I can endure all things. That verb means to be strong. It means to have strength. He's saying, you know what, I'm strong enough to go through anything because I get my strength from him. He's the one who infuses me with strength. I'm strengthened by Christ. I'm not strengthened by myself. He's not, not talking here about some miraculous provision for food or anything like that. The Bible says, to him who has no might, he increases what? Strength. That's so key. In Isaiah chapter 40, the 31st verse, it says that when we would faint and grow weary, we automatically feel the power of God and we mount up as wings as eagles. He's talking about coming to the bottom, as it were, of our human resources and finding strength there in Christ. Not in ourselves, but in Christ. I think the clearest uh, illustration of this is over in uh, 2 Corinthians. Let's turn over there, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And Paul here is speaking about his weaknesses. And look at what he says in verse 7. Second Corinthians 12.7. He says, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, 
Now, it's interesting. He says this, this kind of thing is given because of keep me from exalting myself. One translation reads, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself. See, Paul had a number of divine revelations from God. He had visions of Christ. Um, he had been remarkably the tool of God by which God had revealed his truth. And because of that, he, he may have been tempted to be prideful in that. And so, in verse 7, it says, There was given to me a thorn in the flesh. And there's been speculation on what this thorn in the flesh is. It says it was a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to keep me from exalting myself. Verse 8 goes on, it says, Concerning this, I entreat the Lord three times that it might depart from me. The Lord said, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. That message was very important to him. Because there's sufficient, there is sufficient grace and sufficient power to take care of you in spite of any problem if you're in Christ. In other words, the Lord is saying, you know what? I will cast you on me. You can't deal with this in your own strength. You'll have to depend on me. And in verse 9, he says, Therefore, I, I will rather boast about my weakness. Why? Why would Paul want to boast about it? That the power of Christ may dwell in me. See, what he's saying is, if I didn't have these weaknesses, folks, I wouldn't be dependent on him. If I could solve things, I wouldn't need him. That's just the way it is. So in my dependency on him, I see his power manifested. Look at verse 12. Therefore, I am well, well, what was he say? I'm content. Verse 10. Therefore, I am content. Uh, it's so important that we understand. What are you content with? He's content with weaknesses, insults, distresses, persecutions, difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, I am strong. See, how it works in the Christian life is usually when you exhaust your own human resources, when you're at the end of your rope, when you realize, you know what, you can't do this any longer, that's when, when God steps in and allows you to tap into the, the resources in Christ. And he sustains you through that. He just does. But if you keep on trying to, you know, plug away in your own power, you're, you're going to find anything but contentment. Contentment comes when you experience the sustaining power of Christ in those times when you don't have the human strength. We've all been there. We've all experienced that. I'm sure we have. That's why the scriptures say, to him who has no might, God gives the strength. God increases strength. And Paul says, you know what? I'm content. I've seen the power of God. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting that um, sometimes when you feel things are going okay or, or you just kind of relax, and sometimes you just relax for a second. Illustration. We were playing a song earlier this morning. And, you know, I relax just for a second. You know, I'm not a gifted musician when it comes to playing those things. I need the chords and all that stuff. And, and my mind just fleeted away for a second you know, to my message, and I'm thinking, yeah, I can play this song without even thinking about it. Well, I couldn't. 
and we're in a totally different key, and I'm going back to the key we started in, and I'm thinking, what are the, what are the, you know, I almost wanted to say, what are these other musicians doing? But there are, there are no other musicians up here this morning, so, I mean, it fell on me. And, you know, sometimes in life, we can't even flinch. Because you know what? It's, we, we can lose it. We can get off track. And, and God wants to remind us, that, you know what? You, you need us. You need me every second. You know, not every hour, not every minute, every second. Every breath we take should be, you know, God, you know, I am dependent on you this morning. Do whatever you want through me. And so it's very clear that, that Paul, in this, this context of Philippians, wants us to understand that, you know what, he's living independent of his circumstances. Um, and he's also living by the divine power of God. Look over at Ephesians chapter 3. And we'll close out with this and continue this next week. Ephesians chapter 3, because you, you really get a clear picture of this. Look at verse 14. Wonderful passage of Scripture. <clears throat> Paul was depending on a power outside himself. He was depending on, on Christ. In verse 14, chapter 3, Ephesians, he says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And then he says this. Here's what I'm going to pray. That he would grant you according to his riches, the riches of his glory. And then he says this, to be what? Strengthened. To be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. You know, if you want to pray for somebody, pray that prayer. Pray that God would bring them to a point where they need to depend on the strength of Christ in their life that they would be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. Verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, and the depth, and the height, to know the love of Christ which, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. See, Paul was not some mighty saint that could exist on his own and, you know, uh, just incredible spiritual power. He, he needed the same power that we need every day. And even more so because of the circumstances in his life. And sometimes, you know what, you may be going through a hard time this morning. And it's, it's kind of a double-edged sword. Nobody likes to go through hard times, don't get me wrong. But, you know what, when you go through a hard time, it seems that somehow God injects himself in the middle of that and gives you the grace and the power and the, the strength to get through it. And then when you're through it, you look back and you're going, wow, who gets the glory? Not us, but God. God always gets the glory. And I believe that the Spirit of God strengthens that inner man so that when we're, we're, we're able to do beyond what we could even think at times, Because our human resources have run out. That's where God wants us. That's where God wants us on a daily basis. He doesn't want us trusting in our own abilities. He doesn't want us 
trusting in the ability, abilities of others around us. He wants us trusting in Him and in Him alone. And when He strengthens us, that idea has to mean, you know, it's almost like dynamite power within us. That's the power of Christ within us. It's the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. The Holy Spirit resides within our hearts, within our souls, and He infuses us with that power so that we can live a life in Christ that's, that's pleasing to Him. If you're out there trying to do it on your own, boy, like I said, you're going to be one frustrated Christian. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in a book called Spiritual Depression, um, he was a medical doctor. He was actually a physician to the queen before he felt the call to preach the word of God. And in this book, he suggests that the matter of looking at God's power coming into action at the end of our own resources was similar to the issue of health. And he put it this way. Here's what he said. Health is something that results from right living. Health cannot be obtained directly or immediately or in and of itself. There's a sense in which I am prepared to say that a, a man should not think of his health as such at all. Health is a result of right living. And I say exactly the same thing about this question of power in our Christian lives. What he is simply saying is that, that health is the end product of a right life, as you live right. Well, you know what? When you live right spiritually, you're going to see the power of God in your life in a way that you have never seen it. You're just, you are. Uh, he goes on, he says, taking the question of preaching, no subject to discuss, dis discuss more often than power in preaching. Oh, that I might have power in preaching, says the preacher. And he goes to his knees and he prays for power. I think that may be quite wrong. It certainly is if it's the only thing the preacher does. The way to have power is to prepare your message carefully. Study the Word of God. Think it out. Analyze it. Put it in order. Do your utmost. This is the message of God. And it will most likely bless those who hear it. The indirect approach rather than the direct. And it's exactly the same, he goes on, in this matter of power to live the Christian life. In addition to our prayer for power, we must also obey certain primary rules and laws. The secret of power is to discover and to learn from the New Testament what is possible for us in Christ. What I have to do is go to Christ. I must spend time with Him. I must meditate upon Him. I must get to know Him. I must practice the Christian life. I must do what he tells me to. I must read the Bible. I must live the Christian life in all its fullness. And I just say that to say that, you know what, there's no quick fix here with this contentment thing. Just like there's no quick fix with your health. You go to the doctor and say, oh, you know, as a result of you living this way for 50 years, you're sick. Well, you can't just say, well, give me a shot and get me better. It doesn't work that way. It's the same thing spiritually. We have to take time to put our roots down in God's Word and to, to really understand that there's a divine power available to us to, to help us live this, this Christian life. The last point is uh, 
as far as contentment goes, is a preoccupation with the well-being of others, and we'll cover that next week. And just let you know, we'll be. This kind of leads into a little uh, couple messages on giving, and because uh, Paul talks about that at the end here of Philippians, and and we'll be touching on that in the coming weeks as well. And the Bible has a lot to say about giving, and uh, we just uh, want to uh, make sure that we we cover that properly and biblically, and so we'll be taking some extra time to deal with that. But let's just close with a word of prayer this morning. And Father, we, as the worship team comes, we just pray that you would give us this contentment that Paul had, Lord, and we know that it's not just ours because we asked for it, Lord. The Apostle Paul had to learn this. It was something that was a result of circumstances in his life. Lord, we all have these circumstances in our lives. Lord, some are good, some are bad. Some are hard, some are easy. But Lord, we trust in you. We have confidence in you that you're a God of providence, that you are sovereign in our lives. Lord, we, we thank you that we can get along with little if we need to. And yet we can also abound at your blessing. But Father, most of all, help us never to lose sight of you and the reason that you've called us to be your own. And that's to share the message of the gospel with those around us who've yet to hear. And Lord, I pray that we would be able to do that, not in our own power, but that we would be empowered by your Holy Spirit as we go out of this building into a lost and dying world and, and share the, the hope of the gospel. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who is yet to hear the gospel of Christ, Father, I pray that you would show them their need for a Savior, that you would show them their need for someone who is entirely sinless to take their place, to pay the penalty of their sin. Lord, we've all sinned and we fall short of your glory. Your word says that. And Lord, we need a fix. We need a remedy to that. And Lord, we thank you that you've given us your son and that we can put our trust and our faith in him. And Lord, that he can save us as we cry out to him. Be merciful to me, a sinner. Lord, we thank you this morning. Pray you bless our time today. Pray you bless our weekend if we spend it with family and friends. Keep us safe. And we just, uh, once again, we thank you for this great country in which we live. And we thank you for those who have given their lives for it. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.